Before I read the scripture, let me just uh, bring you greetings from Luther Seminary in St. Paul, across the river. Uh, I'm blessed to be here with you today. Our scripture reading is from the Gospel according to St. Mark, at the very end of chapter 12, beginning in verse 38. As he taught, Jesus said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses, and for the sake of appearances say long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and he said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. A Mexican poet named Octavio Paz wrote this. Tell me how you die, and I will tell you who you are. One of his points was that our deaths are reflections of our lives, and that our deaths will figure in how our lives will be remembered. Some people get fancy mausoleums, while some people end up in mass graves. Colin Powell receives a funeral in the National Cathedral, while others who died from COVID last month are known to most of us simply as statistics. Their numbers are published every day, more than three-quarter million Americans and still counting. Death has a way of stopping us in our tracks it forces us out of the things that we do to stay busy and distracted. But death demands that we ask who the deceased really is and what their life has really meant to us. Death demands that I ask myself what it is that I'm really even living for. So as we celebrate All Saints Day and remember the dead, remember also this that death is a revealer. It makes us consider the true nature of things. Death can expose our games and our lies. Death has the power to lay bare our memories and our love, our questions, our pain, our virtues, and our injustices. Jesus was also a revealer. One of the things that made Jesus so popular and one of the things that got him killed at the end was that he could pull the masks off of things and people. He showed things and people for what they truly were. He saw what other people couldn't see or wouldn't see or maybe thought they saw but weren't sure until he could confirm it. Jesus exposed hidden corruption and he also lifted up people who had been denied their dignity. 
And still today the Gospels continue that same work, for they shine light on the traps that we ourselves fall into, and they beg us to notice the people we would rather forget. In the 12th chapter of Mark, Jesus is in Jerusalem. Within hours after this scene, some of the temple authorities, scribes, and the chief priests are going to nail down a plan to have him arrested and killed. It's at this moment where he says, beware of the scribes. And the people would have said, really? The scribes? The scribes are really a problem? We thought the scribes were the best of the best. The upper crust of Jerusalem's religious elite. I mean, think of their holiness. Think of their piety. Think of their wisdom. Aren't they the ones who are holding together the religious imagination for everybody? Without them, wouldn't the temple and all of its vital ceremonies and rituals just go away? But Jesus wonders out loud, where did the scribes get those nice robes? Why do they take the best seats? On whose backs did they build their honor? What are their real motives? And then this nameless widow walks by when Jesus is sitting down watching people donate to the temple treasury. She'd be so easy for everybody to miss. Her two tiny coins hardly make a noise when she drops them into the collection box. Her offering is so small, it's going to hardly register in the statistics. Maybe even her coins will get lost when the counters just round up the numbers at the final tally at the end of the day. But Jesus asks us to wonder here, why is there a widow in Jerusalem who only has two coins to her name? Why does she think it's a good idea to give those coins to the temple? Her gift isn't going to make any kind of a difference to the kinds of bottom lines that can really count, to the bottom lines that the scribes are going to use to purchase even more prominence and more influence for themselves and for the institutions that they're supposed to sustain. Jesus reveals, no, really he exposes the pretentiousness of the scribes. It's not just that they get all the nice things and get all the benefits. It's at the core, at their core, it's the perks that they really love. And he goes on and he says, actually, if you look even closer, you'd see that they're insidious. They're devouring the houses of widows. If only you could perceive what predators they really are behind the masks that they wear. And then on the other side of the story, Jesus reveals, or really he illuminates, this widow. We would have missed her because our senses have been trained to look for different things. Our senses have been trained to look for accomplishment, for splash, for the innovators and the influencers. Maybe Jesus thinks her two coins would be better off if she had spent them somewhere else. But his main point is that this woman who might look so insignificant when you lined her up alongside of all of the masses who were in the temple that day, that she is actually the one among them with the most devotion. It's not about money. It's not about percentages. She gives her whole life, Jesus says. And that's what discipleship is all about, according to Mark's gospel. What she does here is more like what it means to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and to follow Jesus than anybody else in this story is able to accomplish. 
I wonder if Jesus sees in her a kind of reflection of himself. For soon he's going to be the one who gives his whole life. On Good Friday, most passers-by would look at him and see only another nobody adding his life to Rome's grisly statistics of crucifixions. We all know that the COVID pandemic is also a revealer, don't we? Variations in infection and mortality rates have re-exposed all the racialized inequities that poison American society. The politicization of vaccination has exposed how deadly certain notions of American freedom and autonomy can be, at least when we take them to mean that I'm not responsible for your well-being. Furthermore, the economics of a pandemic have exposed really our collective reliance on underpaying certain workers. And they've also exposed for a lot of people an eagerness for great change, to change careers, to change jobs, or to simplify lifestyles. For a lot of Christian congregations, the pandemic has also exposed just how fragile our communities are, and in some ways how flawed they might be. A lot of people simply aren't coming back. Some can't come back, at least not yet, but some won't come back. And some who are back now might be wondering what needs to change? What should authentic community look like in this day and age? When Jesus is criticizing the scribes, he might be by connection warning us to make sure we don't move too quickly over those people who are in need. He might be urging us to be responsive to the costs that other people are bearing on our behalf. Does he ask us to slow down or perhaps to re-examine our own criteria for what we're about when we gather? Now, I'll admit I'm just a guest here. I don't know enough about Mount Olivet or about surrounding Plymouth in general to have informed ideas about what exactly is being revealed to all of you in this congregation in this time. But if you're like other Christian communities that I know, I suspect there's a lot of grieving taking place or that needs to take place, maybe because of lost lives, lost jobs, lost experiences, lost school, lost opportunities, lost marriages, or just lost dreams. After all, we're living in a national state of prolonged grief, suffering under the sheer weight of death and loss and uncertainty and we're unable to gather and mourn in the ways that we've become used to. So here's a stranger come to your pulpit to say it's okay to sit and grieve for a little while. In fact, that might be part of a church's most important calling in the current moment, to be a community that grieves and also protects space for neighbors to grieve as well. When we celebrate All Saints Day, we pause, we slow down, not to count numbers or to do some kind of a year-end emotional inventory, we pause to make sure that we really see the saints who have passed on, the people who, and who in life and in death might have shown Jesus to us. Not only beloved members of a congregation whose legacies probably still fill this room, but the people out there whose names we don't know and whose stories still remain untold. For in the end, we belong to them, and they belong to us. Tell me how you die, and I'll tell you who you are, the poet said. 
On All Saints Day, those who died in Christ are remembered for who they are as Christians. And also those who have died like Christ, those who have died unjustly or as overlooked, they aren't simply victims, for they too, in a way, are Christ. Tell me how you die and I will tell you who you are. Maybe something is similar, maybe something similar to that is true for all of us, people who are still fortunate enough to be on this side of the grave. Maybe we might say, tell us how you live and I will tell you whose you are. The Jerusalem scribes who irritated Jesus so much, well, according to him, they were living to ensure their own status. That's what they belonged to. They belonged to their advantages and to their survival. When Jesus described the widow's donation to the temple, he said literally, though, that she gave her whole life. She held nothing back. In the end, it's not a story about money or about what percentage of her net worth ended up in the temple treasury. It's about a life given away. It's about what motivates somebody to do something like that. It's about honoring her, this otherwise invisible saint, as a model of the strange logic that dwells at the heart of the good news for all of us, that in giving up your whole life, you actually find it. What else would you expect to hear from a Messiah who's headed to a cross, after all? What else would you expect to hear in a building with crosses on the walls? Friends, you might come to this All Saints Day in deep grief, you might even come in joy. You might come really in indifference. Maybe you're just numb to all of the statistics about death and about loss, destruction, and disappointment that we've witnessed over the last year. And all of that is just fine. However you have come today, though, don't forget one more thing. All Saints Day is also a revealer. What does it reveal what reveals this, today, simply in gathering, whether here in person or those of you online, we're declaring something that isn't immediately obvious to anybody. We're declaring the strange and amazing promise, a promise that was spoken by Jesus, a promise that's reenacted every time somebody is baptized here in your font. The promise is this, that the saints who look like they've been defeated or overrun by death are actually victors and not victims. That's because they, too, have not escaped Jesus' notice. And neither have each of you, both in death and in life, we belong to him. Amen. <laughs>